right, and we are back for another par train. We got PJ Torpro Keith Mitchell on Strat. This was a good one. This was a good one. Um, I mean, I want to hang with the guy. Basically, is what I is what I gathered after after the interview. He's a cool dude. I mean, he basically told us that when, not if, when he wins a million plus, were his first call. Yeah, that's not a surprise, really. No. I mean, just to give you guys a little background before we go to the interview, uh, Keith is PJ Tour pro rookie. This is his rookie season. He's from Tennessee, went to Georgia. The guy was on the same team, incoming freshman at Georgia, same team as Russell Henley, Harris English, and Hudson Swafford. So talk about uh, talk about an all-star team. Um, he missed his tour card on the web by one shot. He actually said in another interview that he had a guy tell him on the tee that he needed an eagle. He actually only needed a birdie to get his PGA Tour card. Then he didn't take his birdie putt seriously, ended up missing it by one shot. But luckily, the guy's a grinder and ended up getting his card in the Web Tour Finals. So, so far this season, he's made four or five cuts. He finished 11th at the Valspar out of a Monday qualifier last year. Hits it a country mile. Overall, hilarious dude. Yeah, we uh, we talked about some good stuff. We uh, we discussed walk-up music on the PGA to the T. Which apparently he, uh, he might have created. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to listen to find the whole story. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he knows who the real big cat is. Okay. You might think you know who it is, but apparently he knows the real big cat there. Uh, we talked about the time they almost had to leave Pat and Kazire's trophy on the runway before hopping into a jet. Uh, a lot of real good grass talk with Evan. Uh, I mean, you're a grass guy, Ev. Yeah. Uh, Keith really went in deep, went into the weeds, you could say. Oh. Um, and, uh, he might actually be the only guy that's more pumped about Tiger's return than we are. I thought that I couldn't get more excited, but uh, there is a lot of buzz w- with Keith and I think all the pro tours guys with Tiger's return. So we get into that. It's a, it's a good interview. Oh, and one thing to keep in mind, we encountered a couple audio issues. Some things are a little bit hard to hear. Uh, we did our best to edit out that stuff. So just bear with us a bit on this. All right. Well, let's, let's get right to it. All right, and we're back for another part train. We got PJ Tour Pro Keith Mitchell on the line. What's going on, Keith? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for being here. We were telling you off air, uh, your boy Scott Langley, you know, he had the choice. We asked him, who should we have on next? He could have said Tiger Woods, but he said Keith Mitchell. He said, you got to get him on. We followed orders, and here we are. So we appreciate you hopping on. Well, I appreciate Langley with the good words, man. I don't know. uh, I I must have... uh been nice to him or, or uh, giving him a couple bogeys on the 18th hole to deserve this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Langley is known for his putting on the greens, and we know, uh, we hear you hit it a country mile, so we're, we're getting a little bit of everything here. Langley on the greens, it always bugs me. as the best-looking putter I've ever seen, but it's left-handed, so I always try to get him to flip around for me, and I can use it, but it just doesn't work because <laughs> it just drives me crazy. I grab it every time I'm near his back. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a real selfish move on Langley's part. I'd like him to address that a little bit better. I don't know. We always like to start our guests off with some fun stuff just to ease you into it. So um, like we said off air, we were talking to your boy Mike Johnson on the web. We had him on about a year ago. And he told us that you are a master in golf lingo. He says you're always teaching them new golf terms. And, you know, we like having new lingo. We like to yell buttercuts, she gone, club twirls for the girls, whatever you want. But we like to hear maybe your top five or a few that you think should be in our repertoire. That's tough. Um, I would say most of the stuff that I get is 
from uh, from an outside source, and then I I feels like I'm the one that always makes it uses overuses it, and then it becomes like kind of part of the lingo. So I, I take very little credit for for actually uh, the origin of a new word. Maybe a few here or there. Man, it was it was in Georgia. We always used to say a bunch of Georgia. Um, Ned is usually the the number one that started way before my time. Um, it's it obviously spelled with a K too, just to <laughs> add a little extra flair to it. So um, Michael Johnson's yeah, we, the biggest Ned and on the web.com tour for sure. Um, Ned's a good one. Um, you know what's funny is like we, one of my buddies. Uh, Rob Bennett used to always say dialed like that's so dialed and now it's like when the PGA Tour starts using it in their Twitter and their Instagram stuff that's when it's officially over right. that's when you know that like you retire the word and when like the the mainstream media starts using it that means you know it's like alright done we gotta move on so when my dad started saying things were lit I said okay that's that's it that's time to stop using that <laughs> yeah. and the, the send it I remember John Peterson and some guys were saying send it back when I was like a freshman in college. And no. now like Barstool Sports does it on like this, you know, so everybody's saying send and it's, it's, it's send has been dead for two years. Yeah. It's, it's done. That's a little, uh, that's some appropriation so, on their part. So that's good we, to hear that at least you were, uh, it sounds like you're a trendsetter is what I'm hearing. You're way ahead of the curve. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, they pass the baton to me, and I take it to the finish line. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know, it's your it's your cross to bear. So we appreciate you doing that that work for everybody. Sp- speaking of uh, of lingo, um, I don't think the Baba Booey guy or the mashed potato guy or the getting the whole guy is going anywhere. If you uh, if you had your druthers, if is there a new saying that you'd like to hear, or would you prefer if it was something different every time? And do you even hear those when, when guys are shouting those out? They seem so ubiquitous at this point that it's got to just be part of the game. Actually, last year in the Dallas bar, um, I was playing and hit a drive on 14 and the par five, and someone yelled, heated up like a hot dog. <laughs> as loud as I've ever heard it. And it was right after impact, so nobody had even clapped or yelled anything. And I swear you could hear it across four holes, and I started dying. <laughs> I lost it on the tee. I was laughing so hard. I mean, I hit my drive, like, way right in the rough, and I was just in care. It was hilarious. I mean, that's so got to be... heated up like a hot dog. It was pretty good. <laughs> okay, that, that, might, that might be the new one. That might be the new one. Heated up like a hot dog. Okay. Yeah. I was playing Pablo this year, and I was playing with Larry the Camel guy. And that guy is so funny. And it was in he was you know, everybody when he walks by is get her done, Larry, get her done just all day. Right after he hit, right after everybody else hit. And I mean it got to the point where you're you know, I mean this guy, this poor guy hears this probably every day of his life. And I'm getting sick of it and I've played with him for eighteen old. And he walks in this and oh, we're playing with Ray Romano. And as soon as Ray hits, everybody goes, We love you, Ray. Everybody loves you, right? Just all day. And so we get in the scoring tent, and we're signing our scorecards, and, and his name's Dan. Man, I can't believe all these people yelling at Ray. If we had a dollar for that, get her done, or I love you, Ray, we'd be rich. And we all kind of looked at him and goes, oh, wait, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, my, those are my two yelling stories. Heated up like a hot dog is definitely number one. So Yeah, heated up like a hot dog is definitely going in the bag for me. I think that one's, that one's too good. You know, we went through a phase where we would – Strat would hit, you know, Strat's actually known for a nine iron knockdown 
280 yard shot. It's a special. He, it's a uh, standard shot. Really. Yeah, when he hits it, he we went through one round where he would just yell web.com. It actually kind of worked. <laughs> that's that's good. I mean, if you can if you can make it to the web.com shot, then that means you're on tour. So I kind of like I kind of like where that's going right there. Okay. Yeah, it's uh it's one you don't hear very often and it really it catches people off guard and uh it's got a good ring to it. It's uh you know, it's just those single syllables. You can really punch it out there. I remember one from back in the day. Y'all remember Nathan Smith who used to always play on the mid and play on the Walker Cup team. He was he when I was in college and amateur golf, he was always like the I think he was probably in his late thirties and he was always playing the tournaments with us and he was so funny. And uh he I remember do you remember the, the Mark Steffenhagen commercial? It was like an Arnold Palmer but a Mark Steffenhagen? No. Come on guys, you got you gotta remember this. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'm furious. I'm on YouTube already. I think they were playing the Masters that year, and he heard somebody yell, Mark Steffenhagen. It's the funniest commercial. I can't remember what it was. Whoever's listening to this podcast needs to immediately go to YouTube and type in Mark Steffenhagen. You know where I'm coming from. We'll, we'll include the, uh, the link in the show notes afterwards. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. So uh, we heard that uh, you're, you're known as a gunslinger, okay? So a lot of birdies, a lot of going for it. If you, when you're out there on a round and uh, let's say you start to, you know, you have a bogey here and there, in my mind, when I start to get bogeys, I feel like I start to think of uh, nothing but the bogeys, which results in more bogeys for me, which is probably why I'm not on the web.com tour or the PGA. What's kind of the psychological process that you go through if you f- start to feel like something's getting away from you? What are the uh, the steps that you take to, to try to get, you know, to right the ship? That is a question that if I had the secret answer to, I think every tour pro would pay me a million dollars a year to know. <laughs> um, that is, that's like the golden ticket right there. But, you know, it's funny. I've, I've actually had a couple incidences this year where I've been playing great. There's a couple of times I was one or two back from the lead and made a bogey and it wasn't it was like a it was bogey, you know you're gonna make bogeys and it was like a it wasn't a dumb bogey or stupid bogey it just i made bogey you just get infuriated because when you have this perspective of how you've been playing which is if you're one or two back from lead almost perfect golf to an extent and then you you play an imperfect shot you feel like it's like some out of body experience. Like, how could I have just done that when I've played so good for so long? And that's kind of where I where I get lopsided is if I make if I'm playing decent and playing okay and I make a bogey, I can rebound because I know I'm gonna make more. You know, I can just make more birdies or whatever. But it's when I'm playing really really well and make a bogey. You know, sometimes you make a bogey on the first hole and it's no big deal because you know you have 17 holes left. And then sometimes you make a bogey on 15 and you're like, I only got three holes left. And in reality, what I try to do is look at how many tournaments I'm going to play throughout the year, which is that many tournaments times four, which is that many rounds, and then times that by 18, and then that's how many holes, and then, you know, give or take times that number by four, and that's how many shots you're going to hit. So if you do that math, it's like, you know, what are 4,000, 5,000 shots? And if you let one of those affect the next few, which can affect the next few, you can snowball in the bad direction, but if you let, if you forget about it and try to play the next shot as best you can and help that roll into it, over 5,000 shots, you're going to be ahead of the curve. Because if you look at each individual shot as if it, you know, the end all be all, or it's the most important shot you're going to hit all year, I mean, that's not even close to true. You got 5,000 of them. So that's the way I try to do it. 
Um, it works sometimes, and sometimes I just get too mad and forget about it and, and you know, slam my club and get a fine. But <laughs> I try. Keith, my Keith is a numbers guy. Yeah, I like that. So what you're telling me is that the uh, Korean dude that I played with two years ago, who's when I got pissed off and he told me, son, every shot's a new shot. That guy was right, what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, that's the cliche way to look at it. Because like, even, <laughs> even, in our, even in myself, I, you know, it's, it's the one shot you're hitting at the time, yes, is the most important shot. But it's, to, to make it less important, you have to actually look at you know, how many you're going to hit because everybody always says, play one shot at a time, stay in the present. Like, yeah, that's easier said than done. And then my way of coping with that is trying to realize how many shots I'm actually going to hit and that helps me stay there. I love that. Yeah, and you know, Keith, you can text us anytime and we are the, we are the par train. So if you need help getting off that bogey train, you just let us know. We're the expert. We'll do that for you. I need to help stay on the birdie train, guys. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good points. Good so point. uh, speaking of the number of days and rounds in a season, I've been wondering about this for a long time. So for an example, I went to Scotland a couple years ago, and I only went for four days after a Europe trip, and it felt like a shit ton of planning for me. Like you got to figure out where you're staying, how long you're staying, where how you're getting place to place, where you want to play the flights, et cetera. Can you walk us through, because this is your rookie season, so this is the first time you're going through it, at least on the PGA Tour. Can you walk us through what goes into planning a PGA Tour season, all the logistics? Do you have a team that books everything for you? How do you decide where you're going to play, where you're going to stay? I'm just fascinated by not being overwhelmed by all of that. So planning on the PGA Tour is the easiest of the tours that I've played on. And the hardest was the Latin American Tour. It is impossible. I played, I think I played 17 tournaments down there. And in the, I played my first year out of college, I played a season on the Latin American Tour. And I do have have a great agency, and I have a great girl that helps me with all my travel and all my booking and everything. But, you know, we still have to work together to do it. She just kind of calls and makes all the reservations and double-checks the prices and stuff like that. I just kind of tell her when and where I want to be. Planning on the Latin American Tour... It was one of the first. I didn't really know anybody that got down before, so we were we were pretty much relying on the sheet that said host hotels, where you need to fly into, and and stuff like that. And I'm flying to Honduras and trying to get a hotel room in Honduras. And I mean, you talk about just clueless. We had uh, we had a we had about a group of ten Americans that went down and played, and we had more fun than I've ever had in my life playing down there. But it was, I mean, it was nightmares. I mean, you were getting in taxi cabs and I mean, you, the golf clubs are laying across your laps in the back trying to get to the golf course. I mean, we had one day that was a, a tw- it took us from the time we left our hotel to the time we pulled into our hotel, the next golf tournament, it took us exactly 24 hours to do that with no delays in the airport. I mean, oh, like God. you're going from PGA Tour event to PGA Tour event, you're like Palm Springs to, to San Diego. I mean, I'll hop in my free badass courtesy car and drive an hour and a half and i'm there <laughs> I mean, you know some guys like i I've, I've, i had some, a bunch of guys are flying private back from the honda back to sea island they're like no we got extra seat just hop on i'm like i'm back at my house in 45 minutes Jesus <laughs> so, christ it, it travel on the pga tour is is expensive but it's easy travel on a latin american tour is is both because you're you're flying an international flight every day, but I do have a good team to help me out with that, and it it helps. Like last year on the web, when I knew I was in every single tournament, I could pick my schedule and book my flight six months in advance. 
But this year on tour, being on the web category and not really knowing when and where you're going to be, it's a little it's a little tougher because you might have to book a flight on a Saturday night or Sunday morning to get to a Monday qualifier, and then you might get in the tournament, and then you want to have to change your flight because you want to leave, and that you know it's more expensive on tour because there's a lot of variables. I mean, it's it's so easy compared to the other stuff. Yeah. So yet again, it sounds like I still need to find friends with a private jet because I have yet to hear a bad story about a private jet. Yeah. Well, I actually, if you want to hear it, I got one. It's oh, not uh, go ahead. So Davis has a program in at the RSM, uh, which is the week after Mexico this year, and he always puts the guys that are going to play because it's, it's like starts at noon on Monday. So there's no way we can get back from Mexico to there on Monday to Sea Island. You know, it's 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 impossible. You have to like connect twice and then drive up to Jacksonville. So anyway, he always sends a plane down and gets us so we can play in program. and. We're supposed to leave at, I think it's 7.30 or 8 that night. And Patton desires on the plane, and he just won. So it was like Zach Johnson, Jonathan Bird, me, Smiley Kaufman, um, JT Post and Patton. It's a, it's, it's a great group. So we're loading up in the van, and we get a text probably 30 minutes prior that we get upgraded to, like, a Citation 10, which is amazing. It's like the fastest airplane in the sky. It's where I'm a... I know way too much about planes. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but, and so we, I'm like jumping up and down. I can't, I'm telling everybody we're flying home with Citation 10. This is so cool. And then we get a text. Actually, it's a Citation Sovereign. And we're like, okay, that's pretty small. We're going to have to pack these bags. Then we get in the van and we're on the way to the airport. And the plane is landed in Mexico and has a mechanical issue. NetJets can't get it. And normally NetJets just sends another plane, but they can't get another plane out of the country because like customs and pilots and everything, you know, to get there and get us in time. So we have to, we go back and we have to get another ho- night at the hotel, stay another night. And so, you know, that's, that's the biggest first world problems anyone's ever had. Staying, staying <laughs> to make for another night. So then we're like, all right, so we get back, we wake up the next morning, drive to the airport. We finally walk out to the plane and the pilots look at us and like, did y'all fly down here on a sovereign? And we're like, no. He goes, well, there's no way we're going to get this much baggage in this plane. And we're like, well, we're going to have to. And we were going to have to go fly to Jacksonville, clear customs, land in Jacksonville, then fly up to Sea Island. And then we were doing all this baggage. We're like, this is going to be dicey. So the pilots are starting to put the stuff in. And Zach Johnson goes, oh, guys, get out of the way. Zach is in the literally inside the airplane playing Tetris with golf bags and luggage, Patton's trophy. We end up leaving a bunch of our club gloves in Mexico because they won't fit. And then inside the plane, Patton has taken every single club out of his bag and like put it in a toilet seat in the back. Then you have like all of our backpacks and shoes like under the seat. <laughs> We were just like sardines in a private jet. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It took us, it took Zach over an hour just to get the bags in there that we could, so without leaving anything. And he was so, he was like, my rider cut bag, I cannot leave my rider cut bag. So like, we had to like make extra room in some other seats, keep his rider cut bag. And like, JT, all of us rookies are just leaving stuff on the runway. Oh my and God. then, as we're, taxiing, as we're taxiing out, we're about to fly to Jacksonville. And we're about to be late. Like, there's no way we can make this thing. So, this our our uh, one of our ladies that does a lot of travel, who's an angel, somehow got the 
customs and border guy to drive up to St. Simons and meet us at the tarmac. And so we flew straight from Mexico, straight into St. Simons, and we had to wait on the airplane. You can't even open the door. You can't do anything until the customs guy gets there. So we had to sit in the airplane for another 20, 20, 30 minutes, just sitting in the tarmac, waiting for this guy to come. Or, you know, you go to jail for, like, you know, if you open a door and, like, throw stuff out, they don't. And um, she had all of our courtesy BMWs around. So all of a sudden, six courtesy BMWs are waiting on the tarmac. A program starts in, like, 30 minutes, and we're just, like, looking out the window, like, waiting for this guy to come. And then, like, he, you know, he can search the plane. He can take all our bags out. We can't leave them. And we might not make it. And he walks up and goes, hey, guys, hope the plane was good. I need your passports. And we hand him our passports. And he's like, all right, you're good. Didn't even open, touch anything. <laughs> our cars. Oh. Golf course is 30 seconds. We pulled up. We had 15 minutes before we teed off, and it was perfect. Oh, my God. So a little bit different than uh, my sitting in traffic to the local Muni course, but still sounds like a good time. It was it was kind of one of those things where you can never get mad about what was going on because it was kind of like nobody's ever had this experience. But it was <laughs> like you're, it's like it was just so weird. It was so fun. That is incredible. Ev mentioned that you know you're on the PGA this year, and given that you've had success in the past, you're obviously no stranger to uh, to high stakes and tournament golf. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit what it's like that first time you're you're walking on to the range at a PGA event as a competitor. You know, you're seeing guys that uh, that you you might have very well grown up watching uh, when you're a kid. Um, you're seeing buddies that have been there. Is there a is there a different level of I don't want to say stress, but is there is the vibe different? Is it kind of business as usual? Do you try to keep things uh, as normal as you possibly can? What's the what's the general vibe? That's a great question because I kind of felt that way at first. Like when I first the first tournament went out to in Napa, it was pretty easy. I played a practice round with Harris and Steven Yeager, who were high school buddies, and you know, kind of and stayed with two guys off the web that I've known forever, and it just kind of was kind of easy. But the first time it really started sinking in was kind of in Vegas, I guess, and you're passing guys that that you've you know watched forever, and you're like, man, I'm here. Like, I'm actually playing against these guys. This is, uh, this is, this is cool. And it, it's, it's pretty business as usual once you tee it up on the first tee. But I remember the first, like the first, I guess it was a Wednesday or Tuesday. I mean, I got to the range at like eight o'clock and I wouldn't even play a practice round. And I stayed at the golf course literally till four thirty because <laughs> I just didn't want to leave. I mean, like I was sitting by the putting green. I was practicing on the range. You know, they have all the club reps out there, and they're, like, checking your clubs, and you're, you know, just trying stuff. You're talking to people, eating lunch. I mean, I've stayed out there for almost eight hours. And, and I left the golf course, and I felt like I didn't get anything done. It was like <laughs> I was a, a spectator. I, mean, I, went, I went to the golf course for eight hours a day. It might have gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> I have the exact that, that literally sounds like what it's like when I go to golf tournaments. I, I don't want to leave and I want to check out every single thing that I possibly can. So I, I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, it's just crazy to me, Keith, that it's like because I've experienced this, too. And, you know, when you go to like an amateur tournament or something and you you're supposed to be really confident. Right. But when you walk on a range and it's all the guys you've grew up idolizing it, to me, it's fascinating to try and remain confident, especially as a rookie knowing that these guys are the best in the world and still making sure that you're confident going to the first tee. It, it, exactly. And it, uh, it reached a whole new level when I played in Pebble this year, when I was in that celebrity wave playing with, um, 
Tom Lovelady and I played with and with Ray and Larry the Cable Guy, and the group in front of us was Dustin and Jordan with Wayne Gretzky and Jake Owen. The group behind <laughs> us was Gary Woodland and what's that girl Kelly, that model and a oh, roarback. She's like that. Act, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's Josh, great. And then the group behind them was Phil and Rory. Jesus. And so like. I'm I'm sitting in the middle of this and I'm I'm warming up on the range and like Jason Day's in our way you know everybody's in our way and I'm hitting balls next to I'm hitting balls right behind Dustin and and Jordan's you know I've known Jordan from junior golf but not great I mean he turned pro three years before I was done with college and I was older than him <laughs> but, um, but you know so I I see some of these guys but guys like Jason and Dustin and Phil and those guys I don't care like. I don't, I don't care who you are, and you still look up to them as like the guy, like Phil especially, like your idols, and and so that pebble was big. And then when I saw Tiger for the first time in San Diego, I I, I immediately felt like a five year old kid. I mean, he looked plastic to me. I was like, that's not really him, is it? And I pull in to the parking lot, and I see all these policemen. I don't really know what's going on. I park and I hop out, and I see one of the Nike guys. That I've you know known forever that helps me with my Nike stuff. And I was like, hey, and he kind of just like looked at me and waved. I didn't realize that there was like Tiger and you know all his people. I mean, who knows Steinberg and like three policemen. And I just like froze. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's Tiger Woods. <laughs> and I'm sitting here and I'm feeding him after the first round, but I didn't care. It was still Tiger. <laughs> so that's actually a perfect segue because it's your first year on PJ Tour and it's Tiger's first real year back obviously last year but like he let's be honest he's really back now he's been fused you know so we want to hear firsthand like a lot of guys talk about they've been on tour for four years they haven't really played against him they're excited to have him back you're kind of you're in the perfect time Keith you're you join the tour he's back he's it's buzzing can you talk about the buzz in the locker room and being inside the ropes and like the feeling amongst the guys and are you guys gonna regret being excited that he's back because he could win everything again. I, I tell you what, and I don't want to quote Phil Mickelson on this Faraday thing because people that are listening have probably heard it. When Faraday was asking about Phil and said, and Phil said, I when I won my first tournament, I won like a hundred thousand dollars. I wonder if we'll ever the winner will ever win a million. And Tiger won the Masters in '97. I think he won four hundred grand. And then when he won the Masters in 2000 or 2001, he won like 1.1 million. I mean, in four years, he almost tripled the purse. Just because of Tiger. Like, there is no way anybody on tour will not be excited if Tiger's playing well because that just means they're going to make that much more money. I mean, you know what? You might not win. You might. I mean, it's hard to win on tour anyway. If Tiger's winning, I don't think anybody's. I mean, I don't know if you saw the thing on the ratings this week. It was the highest ratings of any PGA Tour event since Tiger won the players in 2013 and higher higher than every major except the Masters. It's unreal. And so it, it's 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 real. I don't care what anybody if they don't like Tiger, they like Tiger. If they don't like his past, you know they don't they they think it's all a bunch of crap. It's not. Is not. He has he has no greater impact in a sport than any other single athlete in the history of the world. And I get to do it alongside him out there, and I am more than excited. I don't. It's it's awesome. Fuck, you got me even more jacked up than I was after the tournament this past weekend. I, I love, I love hearing that. It's it's fucking. You're you're absolutely right though. Like you said, I mean, I had guys that that don't golf or watch golf at all that were texting me, being like, "Are you watching Tiger? This is awesome." You're, you, I mean, the guy, he just completely changes the game, and I think it's it's great to hear that 
you know, regardless of what you think about him, it's it, people agree that it's just good for the game because it is. It's it's awesome to see him out there playing well. And then you played you played the Valspar, right? And you got in. I believe you got in a, from a Monday qualifier and you finished eleventh, right? Yeah, last year, not this year. Yeah. So, and that was your first time playing it. First time playing a tour event, actually. Oh wow. And that, I believe that was the highest finish out of a Monday qualifier in some time. But I was curious because you played the Valspar. Strat and I were talking last night about how I don't think enough people were talking about the fact that Tiger hadn't played the Valspar in years, right? And that, so that was basically like his first time playing the course since it's, I think it's been over 10 years. Do you think that that not enough people are talking about how impressive that was that he basically was one shot off the lead and even three putt a par five in a course that basically was he was playing his first time. What's great about that golf course is it, it's not tricky. So it doesn't matter if you've played it a hundred times or if you play it once. If you play well and execute like you're supposed to execute, you will finish well. It is not quirky. It's not tricky. You, it's not like if you hit a good shot, you get unlucky, which a lot of some courses can be. Like a U.S. Open might be that way sometimes. If you play Innisbrook, it is the truest test of good golf because if you putt well you'll play well if you drive well you'll play well and if you do one little thing not great you'll it'll hurt you so that i just i love that golf course and i love i think tiger playing well there it's a perfect example of how if you play well you're not gonna like score bad which is which is happens so often sometimes where you walk off the golf course like man i feel like i played great today I shot even par, I shot under. Like if you go out to the Valspar and you play great, you're gonna shoot a score and you're gonna move up the leaderboard. And that's it's that's why I like that golf course. And I think that's what I think that's what you got out of Tiger. And I think that's what happened with me last year. I was just playing really good and it didn't matter what that I hadn't played the golf course that was my first PGA tour event. I just played well and it ended up great. That's an interesting uh point that you make. When you're kind of setting up your schedule for the year, are you checking are you looking at courses where that suit your game are you looking at courses like you said that aren't tricky that aren't gonna you know punish you for even for good shots is how big of a factor is that when you're putting your schedule together for the year as a rookie it's not really a factor because you're not going to get in everything so you're just playing everything you're going to get in but Mm -hmm. as a guy that can set their schedule it is 100 percent the first thing they're looking at i'll give you two examples i was playing zach was i was playing with zach down here and he was like yeah i'm not going to tory pods like I just you can't compete there because it's such a bomber's golf course, um, and you know. But he'll play in tournaments like Palm Springs that is um, that he can plot his way around and you know make some putts to help him out. And uh, I'll play with Jason Duffner in actually in Palm Springs. And he was like, "All right, bud, I'll see you at the Honda." I'm like, "Dude, that's in like two months." He's like, yeah, I hate Poana. I never play well out there, so I just take those tournaments off. I play well in Bermuda. I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> Duff Daddy, he's I wish a Bermuda I guy. Do that. Yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of guys do that. It's it, when you have a full schedule and you know that you can pick and choose what tournaments you're going to play in. That it's 100% what you do it. But as a rookie, when you're not going to get in every tournament, you just kind of, kind of, they just kind of tell you what you're going to play in and you do it. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking Tiger. I know that you're, you're a Nike guy. You play Mizuno clubs. You got the tailor-made metal woods. I think, you know, the only thing that would make this the complete golf wet dream for me is if you were sponsored by Kirkland Signature Golf Balls. I want to know, 
you know, Deion Sanders once said, look good, play good. How much of that is a factor when you, when you're feeling confident, when you know that you're stepping out onto the course, looking badass, does, uh, is that really a factor? Cause I know that I put a lot of time into my outfits cause it's basically the only thing I can control on the course. So I'm wondering what it's like for you out there. You know, it's, that's, a, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I, I would have unfortunately agree with that's just mean, <laughs> whether that's right or wrong, whatever, make fun of me, it's fine. But my agent is, he's not very, I mean, he's really good at golf, but he never practices. So that's his like whole goal is to like, he has some of my, some of my blades with, I have the victory green grips on my irons, like the oh, core wow. victory on all my clubs. And so he has those, he has like an old Scotty Napa putter, you know, like he's all about that. And that's, I mean, I, I remember when golf ride, I was switching grips because my hands get really dry in the winter and I was using those Z cords, those white grips and they're so firm. And I was like, I was like, man, I need to, I need some a little softer. So they sent me the V 55s, which are the yellow, then the victory cord, which is the green. And I didn't even like think twice. I was like, I want the green ones. Are you kidding me? These are the ones that like, <laughs> these are the old school, awesome ones. And I immediately put on my clubs. I didn't care. I was like, as long as y'all keep making these, I'm going to use them. I don't know. It's, done deal and i mean i even tried metal spikes for a little bit and i would fire wow. our path to walk on just so i could hear them <laughs> <laughs> but but they would always say nike shoes are not made for metal spikes i don't think and they would always fall out so by the end of the round you know i would i would think i was wearing metal spikes because i was gaining more traction but then by the end of the round i don't have two of them left in my shoes and i'd be sliding all over the place so i ended up going back to the soft spikes. well you just made strats day he's a big nike guy he 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 can't get enough of it. Keith, I wanted to ask you. I, I saw an interview of you earlier this week and you know, you're almost like Keith, like the new Tony Robbins. You said, quote, When you combine fun and work together, it's a recipe for success. Because you said that, I gotta have you tell us your funniest tour story and um what you do to keep it fun out there. That's uh ooh, that's tough. Um funniest story. So the one you talk about with buddies Maybe you get a fivesome on a course back in Sea Island. You guys are just chilling in the carts with some beers. Guys that maybe don't know the stories, and and you need to make them laugh. What story are you going with? I got I got one from the Latin American tour that's pretty good. So we're driving in this van. There's it's a stick shift van through <laughs> Guatemala City, and you know, we're flopping all over the place. Probably half of us are hung over from the night before. We're, we played this amazing golf course that was clearly built on the side of an active volcano that would erupt while you were playing. That's a whole, that's just, it was, it was wild. And so we're driving to the airport and the whole, it, it, the next tournament's in Honduras. And so the whole field, there's only one direct flight from Guatemala City to San Pedro, Sula, I think, Honduras. And we're driving up. We check in, and I check in like two and a half hours early. This is, you do that down there because you do not want to miss a flight in Latin America. I did it one time. It was the last time I ever did it again. So I get there early, and and we the people are like trying to speak Spanish. We're like trying to talk back. I don't know much. And they just said it's too heavy. It's too heavy. And I'm like, what do you mean it's too heavy? And she's like, we, the plane, we have too much stuff. We have to put you on standby. Because the whole tournament's going. So there's 100 guys. They all have two bags, golf clubs and suitcases. 
We'll lay in 50 pounds or more, and the plane's already too heavy, and it's still two and a half hours. People have checked out. So I, I get rerouted through, like, El Salvador and back up to Honduras and land in the most dangerous city in the world. You can look it up in, in Honduras at midnight. So, um, it, if you look at the Guatemala city airport, if you look at a line, there's like a cliff and like neighborhoods right there. So like if you fly out of the, out of the runway you, and the plane is a little heavy, it might just kind of fall off this cliff and just land in somebody's house. It is wild looking. So my buddy is so mad. He's like, no, you, I'm getting on this other plane that's getting me there. And he's just like screaming around with Davis. And the people finally said, there's only one, there's like one or two handicapped seats left on the plane. And he's like, I'll take it. And I'm like, no, you have to be, you have to be handicapped. And so <laughs> I'm thinking fast, runs over, gets a wheelchair, and he sits down in the wheelchair. He's like, I'm handicapped. Get me on this plane. <laughs> and they were so fed up with him. They handed it, they handed his ticket. So the plane's taking off in like five or ten minutes. So he is running. I, I see him with a, his the other guy playing in the tournament, pushing him through the airport, sprinting like around the security line, like through the through customs and through security and everything, sprinting through the thing in that wheelchair, and runs up and he pushes him right up to the gate. And he, <laughs> since he's not handicapped, jumped out and sprinted <laughs> up to the ticket counter and handed him the handicap. And handicap ticket, and then runs on the plane and gets on like close the door. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen to be able that kid to be able to pull that off. That's incredible. Uh, that's I love that. I mean, that might be my next move. I, I actually, I've I've considered bringing a walking boot with me just in case uh, a situation like that arises down the line. I mean, it's amazing. You get treated like royalty if you have a broken finger in the security line. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you've made four out of five cuts so far this season. We were talking with Scott, and uh, he told us, you know, we asked him if there was anything that that he learned kind of from the vets on the tour or anyone through his career that kind of helped focus him uh, for for the bigger tournaments. And he mentioned talking to Cooch and Cooch telling him, you know, for the first three holes, he's just he's aiming for three pars. He's hitting middle of the green. He wants to play low-stress golf to kind of ease into his round. Is there anything that you've learned either from from some of the PGA vets or, or, you know, even like throughout all of the different tours that that you've been able to carry through your career that helps kind of set you up on tournament day to get you in the right space? You know, it's 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 kind of uh, it's kind of cool. Like once you tee off on the first hole, everything goes back to normal. Um, It's I learned that in South America when I was playing and, you know, you're you have to you can't speak to your caddy. Like you have to take, you know, you can't really speak to anybody and you're like way out of your comfort zone. But then once you tee off on the first hole, you're like, it's this golf. This is, I know how to do this. And it's still like that on the PGA tour, even when the crowds are huge and the, you know, you're nervous and the, you know, the, all the pressure, it, once you tee off, it's still the same. And what I, what I've struggled with, it's not necessarily starting or getting comfortable it's getting comfortable winning and getting comfortable, you know, contending. And that's something that you can't practice that when you, when you're coming down 16, 17 and 18, you know, it doesn't matter how many balls you've hit or how many times you've putted or whatever, like those feelings of of those emotions of how much you've worked your entire life to try to win at any level in golf is the, what's, what's, part that's not as I'm not as comfortable with just because I haven't been that experience as much 
And, you know, I got better out of the Latin American tour. And I lost some playoff down there. Then I played really good toward the end of the season on the web last year to get in contention a lot of times. And a couple times this year, I've been in contention on Friday. And if I'm feeling like I am in contention on a Friday, and you translate that to a Sunday, that's kind of the stuff that I'm working on in terms of getting more comfortable because it's just you want it so bad and it's so much fun. And that's what you practice and play for to get that feeling walking down the fairway and, and walking up to the green, knowing that you have a chance to win. And that's, that's really like, you look at Justin, Justin Thomas, I mean, he's first year out. He did, he did, he didn't really win anything. He didn't, he contended a couple of times, but then once he started winning, it just like was contagious and he still is to this day. And that's kind of, what the path that I really, you know, I mean, it's obviously you want to win a bunch of times, but just getting comfortable in that situation and just making it snowball is, is the hardest thing I think on tour. Yeah. Cause I mean, we saw that with Corey Connors this week, the guy played three perfect rounds of golf and then he gets to Sunday and, you know, I don't want to say that he blew up, but do you think that that's just a function of, of, of trying to find that, that level of comfort. And, and, you know, you hear it all the time. It sounds cliche to say, you know, once you get that first win, the floodgates open, but it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. Cause it's, it's not something that I've ever even considered. I, I always just assume all you guys are so good and have done it for so long that, that, you know, it's just a matter of playing your best golf, but you know, it's, it sounds like there's definitely this mental, you know, aspect that, that you've got to break through to, to punch through on that next level. It's exactly because there's that feeling inside of you that you can't mimic in practice or in playing and preparing, even on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday. And if you watch Corey's round, I mean, he hit so many amazing shots that he that he hit on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well, like hitting really good wedges. I mean, he, he took a right of the flag on number four. He hit a great wedge shot at number five. And, you know, he just didn't make a couple putts. And then all of a sudden you think you're human. You're not invincible anymore. And then once you feel like you're human and you can make mistakes is when you get, you don't want to lose that feeling of confidence and that feeling of emotion of winning. And that is the hardest part because you can't let those little things affect you where you lose that feeling. I mean, Corey was in the zone. I mean, I've played so much golf with Corey. He's just in the zone all the time, super laid back. But even if a guy like Corey Connors, I mean, nobody knows who he is, but you will. If a guy like Corey Connors can get rattled, it anybody can anybody can and it's it's so it's like when you just you get so close that you just can't you just want to grab it and then you just you just try so hard and then you you just whether you fall short or not you just miss it and you just it it just it kills you inside which makes you want to try even harder on the next shot and then you you know hit that bad shot and then then the snowball goes the reverse direction so that's that's the toughest part on tour is because when you win not only is it a million dollars, but it's a two-year exemption plus the rest of that year and all your tournaments and the Masters, things that we've been working for our whole life. And if you can somehow make that seem like it's normal, which for us rookies is really, really hard, then you're in good shape. But like guys like Justin Thomas, who knows that he's going to play in the Masters for the next 10 years, whether he wins or not, he's he, it's, he can kind of relax a little bit more. Yeah, it just, it go, I mean, goes to show you, you've got a, every single guy that's out there and that has won on the PGA, it, it's an unbelievable feat. I mean, just to hear you kind of, the way you describe it, it's it's uh, it's impressive. Yeah, and I was once sitting with um, my, my old boss when I used to work with TaylorMade. She was sitting with Dustin Johnson, taking him to 
um, the next shoot and he was smiling, looking at his phone and she goes, what are you smiling at? And he goes, uh, the 1.4 million from the BMW last night just hit my bank account. And he looked, uh, he looked pretty happy. So Keith, the first time that happens to you, you're going to have to send us a text. We got to see, uh, what, what it looks like when a million plus hits that bank account. Okay. That's a deal. (laughs) <laughs> hey guys i will be more than happy to do that when i if i win <laughs> all right that's contractually you're obligated so glad we got that on audio okay so keith i want to ask you uh this is something that i've been wanting to uh to to understand for a long time all right i want to talk some grass okay i've always wanted to be one of those guys you hear tiger talking about it all the time poe bent zoysia kakuya okay I want to be able to be there with the boys talking grass and why it's making my ball go a certain, certain way. Do you want to give us uh, a little crash course here on what the grasses are known for and maybe a little uh, TLDR on what I need to know about being a grass guy? I'll give, yeah, I'll give you my best, uh, I'll give you my best uh, explanation. I hate Poe. Okay. <laughs> that's number one. That's the best explanation. Because if you're first off on Poana Greens, it is perfect they're great first off but the worst thing about poana is that your foot puts an indention in the green and it takes it longer to kind of come back up and so it's almost like a sponge and it like doesn't really kind of like rise back to where its original you know level Mm -hmm. and so if everyone wore metal spikes on Poana greens, the greens would be better than if everyone wore spikeless shoes. Hmm. Because the worst thing about Poana greens, especially pebble when it's a little moist and cat, you know, you have caddies, you have eight people on every green and most of them have tennis shoes and DNA shoes. Sorry for joy, but DNA shoes on Poana greens are horrible. (laughs) So you, I mean, the greens look like a minefield. You hit a 10 foot putt up the hill and it doesn't even matter what line you started on. You just kind of have to hit it hard and hope it bounces in the hole. So Poana greens are amazing. They're perfect if you're the first group out. And if you're not, if, if any golf course on the West Coast or up north still disbands metal spikes and they have Poana greens, it, the greenskeeper is an idiot. Because not only is the greenskeeper, if everybody's wearing metal spikes, is he going to get his greens aerated pretty much every day that the greens are actually going to putt better. So, I, I mean, I just don't understand it when people don't let metal spikes on a golf course, especially Poana greens, because the metal spikes just kind of like put a little hole in it and, and it stops your foot from compressing the grass. So it just kind of, it leaves a little tiny little hole that never is in play. And it's, so that's, that's my story on Poana. I wish everybody wore metal spikes on it and I hate it in the afternoon. Um, are, are there a lot of guys that are still wearing metal spikes? I guess I haven't even really thought about that because yeah. I don't hear the click clack yeah, anymore. We're probably the probably a third of the guys on tour wear them. Shit! Um, wow, I have to readjust. Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys would a lot of guys would still wear them if they didn't have like bad backs or bad ankles or stuff. I mean, I bet almost all of them would. Like Phil wore them for his whole life, and then like he just switched to these like tennis shoes because I don't know. But <laughs> a lot of Big guys jam. still wear them. So in Bermuda. I love Bermuda because you know exactly what your putt's going to do. Because if you're really confused about a putt and you're not sure if it's breaking right or breaking left and it's pretty straight, you just look at the grain. And if the grain's going right to left, you say, all right, I'm playing it right center. If it's going left to right, you play it left center. And it takes doubt out of your mind on Bermuda. 
because if you hit a good putt on Bermuda and you can visually see if there's any imperfections in your line on Bermuda very well. So if there's no visual imperfections and you have read the grain correctly, then you can hit a putt on the line you started on and the chances of it going in are extremely high, which on Poe, you can hit a good putt, have the right line, it bounce off. And, you know, if you're us tour players, we keep our head down longer to make sure our strokes better. And you look up and you've missed a putt, you've hit a good putt, and then you think it's you, you think it's the green, then you lose confidence and you start putting worse. On Bermuda, you can line your ball up, you can see any imperfections and make a putt. Or if you miss a putt, you're like, oh, no big deal, I just pulled it or I hit it too hard or it's no big deal, you go to the next screen, you're fine. Where Poe, it just totally messes with your psyche because you don't know why your putt didn't go in. Because you cannot see imperfections because the green is like a sponge. It's like has all these ups and downs. And then going to bent, which I grew up on, bent is harder to read because there's there's not like the, you can there's a little bit of grain but not a lot of grain. And bent's usually really fast, so you can hit like if you have breaking putts on bent, you can hit a really good putt and it's fast and it kind of you know dies a little early because it breaks more, it breaks a little less. Bent's like the best golf green, I think. Um, just because it's they're hard to putt, they're hard to read, but they roll really pure most of the time, and you can see any imperfections. So, I mean, I think that's why guys that putt well at Augusta are just good putters because if you can putt well in bent, you can putt well in anything because that means you read the greens really well and you have really, really good speed because most of the, most of the greens these days, if you're playing bent, are really fast. So in bent, it's kind of the same way. Um, it's with with terms of golf shoes, like oh, back to Bermuda, if you have golf shoes on Bermuda, it doesn't matter what shoes you wear, those greens are going to stay fine unless you like scrape your foot against the grain. Mm-hmm. Then you should just be polite and tap it down. Right. Bent, bent, bent's get a little, they can get a little dicey, but you can easily see imperfections. And I think with these new SGA rules, you'll be able to tap them down. So bent greens should be perfect. With these new rules being tapped down, every single, every single club should make everybody wear metal spikes. Because if you can fix a spike mark, then you should be able to wear metal spikes. Yeah, what's the risk? Agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so with fuck it. Rule, I think every club should make should make clubs be able to wear spike, uh, spikes in their shoes. Yeah, you can take them off before you walk in the clubhouse. I mean, we do that anyway on tour. Yeah, so, hey, make, uh, make, Amer- yeah make America spiked again. I'd, I'd like to crown you an official grass guy. That, yeah, that, big that time was grass guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe if all if anybody knows anything out of it, it's that every club with the new rules of nineteen should allow metal spikes again. Okay, make, we'll make America that. spiked again. Grassroots yeah. campaign. Uh, We're starting it. I love it. Get into Kikuya. The Kikuya is just like a suction cup to your ball. You cannot <laughs> bump it up to the green. You have to flat on. You cannot hit a chip through it. Kind of like Zoysia. You cannot bump it up. It's just impossible. Sticky. So if you ever get on Kikuya and you ever get on Zoysia, just hit a flop shot no matter what. Oh, oh, flop shot. Okay. That's good to know, actually. I mean, that's my favorite shot to blade, so I'm in. That's the first thing I'm going to ask when I walk into the pro shop now. What kind of grass do you guys have out there? Yeah. What, what, what's the course and, record? And what kind of grass you got? Yeah, there's pass pound, too, which if you're ever putting on pass pound, just hit every putt firm and straighter than you think because the grass plays are so thick that the ball doesn't, like, it, like, sticks almost in a track, and it doesn't, like, you know, roll off. It's, like, bent, and it's fast bent. It just starts, like, rolling sideways. If you don't pass by on that every putt straighter and firmer than you would on any other green, and you make a lot of putts. All right. Well, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a lot of text messages from us in the future now when we're on the greens. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be need some of this sage wisdom because this is good stuff. 
Yeah, our thread's literally just going to be pictures <laughs> of grass. And I'm going to say, what's this, Keith? <laughs> Keith, Keith, thoughts? Care to discuss? <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that's. That's pine straw. That's not grass. <laughs> okay, fair. That's fair. So flop shot. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the the new rules, um, which I think are are a good step in the right direction. And we we consider ourselves innovators as well. We're always looking for new ways to to jazz up the tour. So we got we got three suggestions that we think could help make things a little bit more intriguing, engaging. We want to get your take on which one you think is going to work the best. Number one is uh, we institute a new a new rule that Patrick Reed can no longer wear red and black on Sunday. That's not a thing for him. Absolutely. Just, no, it's not. Okay, it's not thank you. Never say another word. It's done. It's out. doesn't matter. I mean, the, I feel like the putt coming back on him was basically Big Cat's uh, yeah. way of saying, you don't do that, man. <laughs> Especially now that he wears Nike, it makes it even worse. Yeah. How could how could his Nike reps let him get away with that? You know what? We'll we'll, we'll see if we can handle that. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, Loop me into that conference call. Yeah. I got a couple things I want to say as well. So we got so we got Patrick Reed no more red. It sounds like that's already the uh, the walk away winner. We got walk up music to the T, and we also got mic'd up caddies. Which ones? Uh, which ones you think? Other than let's throw Patrick Reed out in between the two. Which one you think is going to work? So. Um, I think the mic'd up caddies would be amazing, but it would have to be like X rated. <laughs> um, we can edit. I'm not saying R rated. I'm not saying R. I'm it's X. Oh. Like you would. I mean, a lot of t- you get a lot of caddies that some stuff that comes out of their mouth is it's just amazing. I mean, it makes you laugh so hard you've never heard anything like it. And it, it's so, but it would have to be very selective with the caddies because. Some guys are just really quiet and they're very cliche, but like some conversations between players and caddies over sound are absolutely amazing. It, it, uh, I don't really have any good examples off the top of my head, but it's, I mean, I, I've heard some just incredible things. I don't have to think about that. Maybe send y'all, send y'all a little transcript if I can remember. Um, oh, I'd love that. The walkout music, the walkout music is actually a thing we try to get started. And oh. I don't want to take full credit, but. I was really, really close with the tournament directors in Kansas City, and I still am. Uh, they're great people out there at the Kansas City Crusaders. I have nothing. They're just awesome people. I've, I've spent two years out there. And we were talking. I did their media day um, out there uh, last year. and kind of flew out and did, like, a breakfast for them, and they were asking me, you know, what can we do better for the tournament? I said, walkout songs. <laughs> like, how do we do that? I said, they had this par 317 that they try to make like any other – late closing part three and it was like you can't do it on the tee because the 16 screens right there and you don't have enough time in between people hitting shots especially if they're on the clock or they're behind and you know players fast so what do we do well you the stands are up front i mean up by the green and whoever hits it closest you play their song walking up to the green and oh i like that we had to write it down they got all the licensing for it or whatever and the best was I was on the 16th green and Drew Weaver was in front of me and he put his, his song dream Weaver was his walkout song. <laughs> and I'm on the 16th green lining up my putt and I have to back off dream Weaver as he's walking up to the green. <laughs> I mean, it was, and, he, and he hit it closest every single day. I didn't play behind him every day, obviously, but every single day he hit it the closest of the group, and he earned it four times. Well, I mean, that's no surprise. It's a hell of a fucking track. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty epic. And apparently, la- apparently, last year at the Zurich, they had everybody write them down, 
and they didn't they didn't do anything with him unfortunately. So I hope they're going to try to do something with him again. I got some really good walk up music for for uh, our team. And I'd love to see what uh, Charles Schwartzel and Martin Keimer's walk up music would be. That's got to be. <laughs> A real window into the soul for those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some you know, like guys, some really chill guys like love country. I mean, like what some old school country song is not going to be very hype on the golf course. You know, we're it's trying true. to get that hype level up. It's like true. That. What would I, Tigers be? What would Tigers workout song be? Well, he's probably like Rolling Stones or something. Don't you think? I don't know. That's the question of the day, maybe. Damn. I say Tiger, give me shelter. That's my call. Okay, maybe we'll put it to Twitter. That might be a that might be a Twitter poll. Well, Tiger's walk out song. Yeah, I, I would say maybe ninety nine problems and a bitch ain't one. That feels fitting. Oh, I like that too. <laughs> That's on brand. All right, Keith, we got one last question for you, and then we're gonna let you go. We appreciate all the time for this last question. We're gonna put you to work. Okay, name. Okay, we did this for Scott, and it led to you. So this is this is our thing. Name a funny guy on tour that we have to have on next. I would say Steven Yeager's caddy. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he's technically on the VGA tour. That's true. All right, why, why do we got to have him? He he's one of the funniest people I know, um, and he is he's got stories forever. And he's like I try. I mean, Steve and I are just bestest friends as you can be out there. And uh, I love not only playing with Stephen because of Stephen, but because his cat is so good. We call him the real big cat. Oh. The real big cat. So, yeah. So if you need a reserve, if you need to slide in that caddy, that's caddy DMs out there, then uh, he's, the, he's the man to reach out to. But in, in terms of uh, players, Justin Hadley's goofy funny. Um, he's, he's, he's a funny guy just to be around. Um, he's, a, he's a different funny. Like, you got a Duffner that's, like, a really dry, like, mm-hmm. you know, hilarious funny. And then you got Chesson who's, like, goofy funny. He's great. And then Brandon Harkins is pretty cool. He's super low key, flies so under the radar, just beating the shit out of everybody this year. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard his name. Played at Chico State. I mean, the guy's just like the silent assassin out there right now. And he would have, he, he'd probably have some good stories because, I mean, he's in his 30s, I think, or late 20s. And he went straight to the web tour, his first year guy's card, and now he's dominating. I mean, like, He's kind of had a big gap in between college and where he is now, and he didn't even blink when he got his card. I mean, just crushing it. Love that. Okay. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Keith. This was a blast. Yeah, guys. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, and yeah, uh, just as a friendly reminder on the send-off, when you get that million-dollar check, you know how you're calling first. Yeah, that was, I will absolutely – I 100%. All right. You enjoy the rest of the year. Play well. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Keith.